0: House Republicans unveiled their budget and revealed divisions with the Senate. Lawmakers approve a gun regulations bill and want to study a lot more. That plus the legislature overturns two Mike Pence vetoes and more on Indiana Week in Review for the week ending February 17, 2017.
1: Ice Miller is proud to support Indiana Week in Review. Ice Miller, with a 100 year tradition of learning what is important to clients and strategizing with them toward a common goal. Today, Ice Miller continues its commitment to help clients build, grow, and protect their interests. More at IceMiller.com.
0: This week, House Ways and Means Chair Tim Brown rolled out his caucus's roughly $32 billion two year proposed state budget. Last week, House Republicans changed their road funding plan, House Bill 1002, to immediately shift all sales tax on gasoline to pay for roads. That opens up a $600 million hole in the general fund. The House Republican budget, House Bill 1001, includes a $1 per pack cigarette tax increase, which would generate more than $570 million in the next two years. While budget author Representative Tim Brown says the cigarette tax money will go specifically to Medicaid, he notes that it helps free up dollars in the general fund. It helps us build our structurally balanced budget and makes uh, 10.02 and
1: 10.01 work together.
0: But Senate budget architect Luke Kenley doesn't like shifting the sales tax on gasoline, and he calls the cigarette tax hike problematic when also trying to raise fuel taxes. I think that's a plug number to try to help diminish the problem you get into with the sales, sales tax on gas issue. How big a divide is there between House and Senate fiscal leaders? It's the first question for our Indiana Week in Review panel. Democrat Ann Delaney, Republican John Hammond, John Schwannis, the host of Indiana Lawmakers, and John Katzenberger, president of the Indiana Fiscal Policy Institute. I'm Indiana Public Broadcasting State House reporter Brandon Smith. Ann Delaney, is Luke Kenley going to tear Tim Brown's budget to shreds?
2: Yes. <laughs> okay, obviously. Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of there are a lot of issues with that budget. It, it you know, first of all, it doesn't provide enough road funding. I know the gas tax bill is still out there independently, but it doesn't provide sufficient road funding. The increase in education doesn't go to any of the inner city schools. So, I mean, there are problems with that budget that are substantial. So, I expect that when it's Through the Senate, you're not going to recognize it.
0: I mean, the the budget always looks a little different when it comes back from one house to the other. But I was talking to lawmakers who think this is going to look very different. Are they right? You
3: know, I don't know how different. I think to set it up in a negotiating posture for the final days of the General Assembly, maybe. I think the House budget is a very responsible budget in the middle of a a kind of a tough revenue cycle for the state. We may get a better uh, revenue forecast in April that helps these guys in the second year of the biennium make this work. But I do think they've done a great job, and this is where I differ with Ann, of course, on trying to lay out a long-term road funding proposal that does make sense, finds its way into a kind of a balanced situation and does have to straddle between Uh, the transportation funding piece and, of course, the, the budget bill itself.
0: To that end, obviously, this is a little different year in that you're not just dealing with the budget, which is big enough on its own, but you're trying to really combine that with the other big piece of legislation, the road funding bill. And there seem to be significant disagreements that have been bubbling up and really spilled over the top of that pot uh, with the reveal of the House Republican budget this week. How, how much of a wrinkle does that throw into this whole process? It's a
1: wrinkle. It's a, it's a, <laughs> a pothole, hole, whatever you want to use as a metaphor for this. Uh, and it, it, it is a bit surprising, I guess, because the suggestion, the conventional wisdom, was that there was widespread uh, agreement. And I think there is still, to a large extent, that something needs to be done about Indiana's roads and bridges and that the fix should be long-term. But in terms of how to achieve that, as has been pointed out here, there is I think a surprising wrinkle uh, and it really all, it's a there 's a philosophical question here we We have the House Republicans who have effectively adopted the the belief that the best way to uh, and the cleanest and clearest way to sell this is to say that. These are de- would be dedicated funds, effectively. If you're pumping gas at the gas pump, you know that that tax money is going to go to the roads you're about to right. to drive on. Which is a big advantage. Which is a big and advantage because we say public, that right? you know generally yeah. think that people want to right. you know if my dollars that. can go right. to they, X Y they yeah. Z and so, it was, so and of course honest. that hasn't no been the case. Right. So, but then the other side of it, as as suggested here, is that it's a diminishing pot of money if you look at cigarette taxes because if you succeed with your stated uh, health policy which or social policy which is to diminish smoking, guess what? You're gonna have less and less revenue. A big part of the the biggest part of the budget is K twelve education. One point
0: one percent increase in the first year, one point seven percent increase in the second year. Given the, the the notes of caution that have been sprinkled around the economic forecast, is that as good as schools can hope for?
4: Um, I think they can hope for a little more, but I don't know whether they're going to be rewarded for that hope. The House budget does a lot of things uh, to the formula. It doesn't do them to the formula, but the the foundation grants go up. But as Ann suggests, the distribution will be such that you know school districts that are already doing pretty well will get the bulk of that increase through the, the way the system works. Uh, They're also, in the House, eliminating the reward program for teachers, the $40 million reward program for teachers, uh, and rolling that into the foundation. So that extra $40 million um, that's currently being paid directly to teachers will not be paid under the House budget. Um, So I think that uh, education, because it's such a large part of the budget, it takes a lot to move that needle. Uh, but um, you know I, I think they're already fairly aggressive on the revenue forecast, so any any big increase is is probably asking for a lot and I think that with the pressure from the the sales tax on on gasoline going into the budget and trying to find additional money for uh, roads on that other bill. Um, it's going to be difficult to find additional money for education. On the teacher performance grants, mm-hmm. uh,
0: given the problems that were created, the, the disparities that were created in that formula uh, as we saw it this past year, is it better to just get rid of them and pump all that just into schools itself?
2: But they're not pumping it all across the board into schools because they're raising the cap to, what, 52 or 5400, and the inner city schools are already getting more than that. So what you're doing is taking any chance of any performance grants for inner city schools and taking it away and putting it right where it is needed least, and that is into the well-off schools that have high performance uh, already. So we may not be able to get more than 1.5%, but the dispute as to where that money goes, I think, is still ongoing and needs to be ongoing. And the funding for roads is not sufficient. I mean, we know that. For the roads and infrastructure, it's not sufficient. So they're going to have to stop the corporate tax. On
0: education we talk about the IPS will actually see their their amount lower a little bit Uh, other inner city schools similarly that the answer they give is well the money follows the child if fewer kids are going there fewer money is going to flow there is that a good enough explanation
3: well it's certainly a fundamental explanation it's a it's a philosophical difference certainly the, the Republican side of the aisle likes to pursue money after the child not after the district right so that's a fundamental difference between the two caucuses and between well, the two parties. There's also a difference approach.
2: that that's where their votes are, and well, that's why they want the money to go there. Not that they want it to go to the child, right. but they want it to go into their district. But I think each
3: each family that wants to make a choice where their child goes to school wants to see their money and the taxpayers' money follow that child. So one of the things we forgot a little bit about, which wasn't much more than a year or two ago, a year and a half ago, we put $427 million new dollars into the education system in a time when we did have more revenue, and that was a record number, and that's a very important thing to remember. So it's not as if schools well, have been slided in now, the, in the ju- very just recent a second. past. second.
2: We put the money in there, and the majority of it did not go to the ninety-four percent of the students who are in public schools. It went to your vouchers, and it went, and, it, and it, that's where the money. That's I'm where not, the big increase went. And by the way, that only gets us up to pre-two thousand and eight funding. I don't buy your so nine, it's not as good a number as it I sounds. I don't
3: buy your number, or your percentage.
2: But the you percentage, can, the, the bulk of that, well. I, a huge yeah, percentage eat, of that money yeah,
0: went yeah, to yeah, 6% let's, of the students. A House committee approved a bill this week to allow people protected by restraining orders to carry a handgun without a license for up to 60 days. Republican Representative Sean Eberhardt, the bill's author, says he wants to make sure people are able to protect themselves when they need it the most. But Democrat Terry Austin says injecting more guns into domestic violence situations will only make it more dangerous. Republican Jim Lucas says the government shouldn't block access to guns when people need them, and that philosophy is behind his amendment to the bill. Lucas authored a different measure this session to eliminate Indiana's license requirement to carry a handgun. He believes the right to bear arms is a constitutional guarantee that cannot be restricted, despite the fact that courts have repeatedly upheld modest gun restrictions. Lucas couldn't advance his bill, so instead he wants to have a summer study committee debate the issue. He says he wants the committee to look at a number of issues to clear up what he calls
4: misunderstandings of his proposal. What constitutes who can lawfully
1: carry and who can't. Also, uh, the rate at which handguns are used in suicides and the rate at which handguns are used in criminal acts. But you can count House Speaker Brian Bosma among
0: those with reservations about Lucas's proposal. He notes that the law enforcement community opposed Lucas's original bill.
4: They feel that it increases the threat to law enforcement. That gives me grave concern.
0: John Hammond, I'll start with the underlying bill. Should the state seek to inject more guns into domestic violence situations?
3: Well, you've got a, kind of a bias in your question, right? You say in the state, the government's going to inject guns into the domestic violence situation. And I think Sean Eberhardt and, and a lot of members of his caucus really look at it as a Second Amendment right issue for them. Obviously, that's generally a very um, important principle for them to uphold. And third, I think they spend a little bit of time thinking about those who are in fear of their lives and say, and we've all heard of situations. I'm going to be very interested in Ann's response, which I think I can anticipate and have a lot of sympathy for, because when you're in an abused situation or where you feel very threatened, the question is, how do you best protect yourself? And, and all of us, uh, particularly his lawyers, we've seen restraining orders, protective orders issued, but they don't seem to protect, well, ultimately, sometimes a very tragic victim. So I think his, his attempt is to try to, he wouldn't say inject, but to actually uh, have more protection for someone who feels very vulnerable.
0: I think it was, it was Jim Lucas who, who, in the committee on, the, on this discussion, talked about the fact that a restraining order is a piece of paper. and And if someone feels like they need a gun to protect themselves... We should try to make that available in these situations. Is he right?
2: Are you kidding? I mean, this is so poorly disguised. This is the same misogynist who laughed at domestic violence, what, a week ago? He laughed at it. He thought it was really cute to lock your wife in the trunk of a car. All right, that's the, the kind of person we're talking about. And he's using domestic violence as a screen to kind of put more guns out there. More law enforcement officers die in domestic violence situations than any other single Uh, Event that they investigate. And if I agree that the restraining order is merely a piece of paper, that's why we have shelters. And that's what shelters are designed to do for a cooling-off period where the risk of death goes down dramatically after 60 days. We don't need more guns in this situation, and Jim Lucas ought to be embarrassed and ashamed of himself for trying to cover up his misogynist tendencies by uh, throwing guns out there. If you have a restraining order, you can go get a license for a gun if you think you need one beforehand, okay? This is just purely and simply a smokescreen on his part.
0: Speaking of smoke screens and and Jim Lucas, uh, he's actually been very, very clear. He doesn't think the government has the right to restrict uh, your access to guns uh, for the most part. And so he'd like to, to get rid of handgun licenses, obviously not support in his caucus yet for that. So instead, it's a study committee. Do you think this is one of those the study committee gets us to the
4: bill's passage the next year? Um, I'm thinking that's still a little bit of a long road, but I do agree with your your question, and you say for the most part when he's talking about restrictions on guns, I think Representative Lucas would like no restrictions on guns, period. I think that's his goal, and uh, I think that's the goal of people who are Second Amendment absolutists. Now, there are First Amendment absolutists too, let's say. Uh, and. I think even the most ardent, and John is among them, the most ardent First Amendment absolutists understand that there are limits to the amount and the type of speech that you can can use. Um, and so the notion that there can be no limits on any any situation, First Amendment, Second Amendment, whatever, I think is probably wrong. And I think that uh, that's where the, the, the uh, conflict for Representative Lucas and other Second Amendment absolutists and others is. I think Ann's point is well made,
0: John. Uh, this is a this is a general assembly packed with um, Second Amendment supporters. Packed, it's maybe the wrong, uh, <laughs> but <version>. loaded. <laughs> is is Packing. this is this perhaps
1: uh, a bridge too far? Well, if you look at courts across the country, if you want to look at precedent, courts certainly recognize a Second Amendment right. But to echo what John just said. Courts have generally said there are modest limitations and restrictions that a civil society can impose on weaponry and the and the the uh, the bearing and bearing and carrying of of um, lethal weapons. So I I would think that as much as support as there is for the Second Amendment in the in the House and Senate, and I agree with you, it is packed with with supporters uh, on that particular issue and a few other areas. Uh, for instance, the notion of of preventing public colleges and universities from barring uh, students Guns from having uh, gun mm-hmm. prohibitions yeah. on their campuses, which comes down almost to uh, you know a, the autonomy of of uh, these educators and the administrators and those on those campuses to make decisions that they deem to be in the best interest and in the, the best uh, yeah because we've seen that bill of the last couple and of then years. again with this one where. The sense, if you look at this, I, I'm no expert, as so many others are, uh, in domestic violence and having run the shelter. But it seems to me you want to get guns away from the situation on, in all regards. uh um, no. But I, I, it, 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 it suggests that the, that the restraining orders are really, basically, it's an acknowledgement that the system, as it's set up. Doesn't afford any protection. Right. Well, that it, you have to I take it into your own. I disagree with that.
2: I disagree with that. The restraining orders well, do offer protection. They I'm saying, saying they, the- they,
3: they do. To, but there's sometimes they, they don't offer the ultimate protection. They cannot save a life when it's really no. And if All somebody
2: right. is if somebody who is a domestic violence perpetrator right. who is obsessed with the use of guns, okay, or makes a specific threat to kill, that's where a woman needs to be in a shelter. Okay, she does not need to be trying to protect herself. No. This is not the Wild West, and, and I think no, Jim Lucas and, and keeps certain, forgetting that question. Well,
3: I certainly, you know, I think we all agree. If we had more shelters and you could get more people educated well, to get there, then maybe that's that where we ought to be putting the resources. Great thing. But in the meantime, we, we don't, meantime, we don't need time more now,
2: guns.
0: Time now. Time yeah. now for viewer feedback. Each week, we pose an unscientific online poll question in conjunction with our Ice Miller email and text alerts. This week's question: Should Indiana eliminate its license? requirement to carry a handgun? A, yes, or B, no, or C, let's wait for the results of that study committee. Last week's question, should Joe Donnelly vote against President Trump's Supreme Court nominee? 26% say yes, no comes in at 74%. If you would like to take part in the poll, go to WFYI.org IWIR and look for the poll. The Senate this week voted to override former Governor Mike Pence's final vetoes. Lawmakers last session approved a bill to delay any new state environmental regulations that are stricter than federal rules, except in emergencies. Former Governor Mike Pence vetoed that measure last year. House Speaker Brian Bosma acknowledges thinking about the optics of overriding the veto of the now-sitting vice president, but says it's a matter of timing. We had different circumstances uh, when that bill was uh, vetoed. We have just discovered that there were some serious lead issues in some of our elementary schools here in Indiana. The legislature also overrode the veto of a measure that deals with private university police department records. The 2016 legislation would make some of these subject to public records requests, similar to any other police department in the state. The bill also shields some records from the public. John Katzenberger, Speaker Bosman played it off on timing, but how does this reflect on Mike
4: Pence? Well, I think the speaker is right, and it's accurate in his position, but the perception is going to be, and has been since the House first overrode those vetoes, that this is an erasure of Governor Pence's legacy. Um, I think combined with the actions that Governor Holcomb took last year, or last week rather, on um, several issues, then that's the popular perception, that uh, the state is going in a new direction. And um, I think in that case, it, it... to the outside, it looks rather reflects rather poorly on Governor uh, Pence.
0: On the two issues, one was uh, Flint, Michigan, and some lead issues. The other one was an ongoing court case that's since been resolved. Is this, is it just coincidence? I
1: is think so. True? I because keep in mind these are not two issues that Mike Pence held near and dear. I mean, it's not as if they, these he, he ran for office championing uh, these positions or said this, you know, announced them in a State of the State address. He just had, these were bills that came down the pike and in his role as governor decided it wasn't smart policy. In the case of the environmental concerns, it was on the heels of the Flint, Michigan water Mm -hmm. debacle and he wanted to make sure and was advised by the Indiana Department of Environmental Management that they needed the flexibility in in between sessions because we don't have a full-time legislature to act quickly. And in the other one, Mike Pence, you keep in mind, was a fairly active supporter of, of media rights and, and public access issues, A longtime supporter of the, the shield law for journalists, along with Dick Lugar when he was in the, in the Senate. Um, and so uh, I think he was saying uh, what a, a lot of people would say, maybe not the Indian Supreme Court, but a lot of others in courts and other jurisdictions would say, which is, if you're going to equip someone with the ability, the authority, the sanctioning to, to take someone's liberty away, by that i mean arrest them put them in the back seat of a car even right. temporarily put handcuffs on them mm-hmm. uh bear a gun that you can take someone's life you have to be you need you're a sworn, everybody you're to a sworn officer and therefore you should be subject to public records law now if this you're a private is, on, this school is, and you have a private security agency just somebody that's a different issue these are sworn officers this is about.
0: this is maybe reality versus perception but in perception is is important in politics is this reflect poorly on mike pence these two actions by the General
3: Assembly do not, in my view, um, for the reasons that John stated. I think they're specific to each of those two issues. Things have changed in certain circumstances, particularly related to the environmental piece. So I don't see it that way. Um, I think it's popular right now. Of course, he's very uh, visible. He's now the vice president of the United States. Uh, people are highly divided in the country on the question of the leadership, of whether uh, the Republican Party in control of the White House. As, it, as, as I know, Ann opposes that. Uh, I'm in, uh, I favor that. And so Mike Pence is an easy target. Uh, he's gone on to higher calling, and I think it's really an opportunity for some people to really take off after him. Can we make it unanimous? Does this, uh, does this not reflect poorly uh, on compared Mike Compared
2: to the week he had being sent out to the TV talk shows to defend General Flynn when they knew they knew he'd been lied to, This is chicken feed. (laughs) (laughs) You
0: know I agree completely. The House Elections (laughs) Committee chairman denied his committee a vote on comprehensive redistricting reform legislation this week. Lawmakers spent two years in a study commission on redistricting. The end product is a bill to create an independent redistricting commission that would draw legislative maps. Dozens of people showed up to a House Elections Committee hearing Wednesday to support the bill. Only one person spoke against it. Though committee chair Milo Smith dismisses that imbalance as the result of what he calls one group's successful organizing. But when it came time for a vote, Smith announced there would be none. He says the bill is an unfinished product. Democrats wondered why work on the bill couldn't be done on the floor, but Smith won't say whether he'll even have another committee hearing by next week's committee deadline. John Schwannis, is it unfair to deny this bill
1: even a vote in committee? That question always depends on whether you like the bill in question. If, if, you, if you like the bill in question, it's an outrage that you can't get this, move it on to the floor where it could be honed and refined. If you don't like a piece of legislation, you say this is a smart, prudent exercise of, of uh, common sense. So uh, in this case, I didn't think that this piece of legislation actually would prevail this session. Because it is controversial. I mean, that you're actually asking people who are benefiting, perhaps, from the current maps. I mean, perhaps. Benefiting from the current I'll maps. Hedge. I like to hedge things a little bit. You benefiting always from hedge the current things. maps to say, to un- we're going to give uh, support their authority something over. that, in yeah. fact, uh, gives away the advantage that we now have. Yeah, but it actually I got, counts the votes. So How think, about that? This is not where I thought it would get derailed. If you look back at the study committee that you talked about, the only two negative votes when it was forwarded to the General Assembly as a whole uh, for consideration their report, their final report, the only two negative votes were the two Republican Senate members. So I actually thought, uh, given the the support of Brian Bosman, the House, and others, that this would probably emerge from the House, but would, in fact, run aground in the Senate. This is uh, a case of uh, Brian Bosman seemed to indicate that
0: this bill perhaps wouldn't have gotten out of committee on a straight up or down vote. But shouldn't people have the right to know where their lawmakers in this committee stand? Shouldn't there, even if it's not going to get out, shouldn't there at least be a vote to indicate that?
4: Yeah, now, this is not unusual for or for Representative Smith to do. He often will hear a bill one committee meeting and then have an amendment and voting session on it another time. So this is not out of character for him, and other committees handle that the same way. That said, I think you're absolutely right. I think people who are interested in this bill deserve to see where... Uh, their legislators uh, fall on the issue. Um, And I understand why they're disappointed about that. uh, But I do think that from leadership's perspective, this is just a little too far. Um, they're already being asked to move a lot in terms of the budget. Um, we saw where the pressure on a tax increase has really been ratcheted up on this caucus. And I think leadership is saying, look, okay, we've got a big load this session. Uh, let's just take this one off and lighten it if we can.
3: The good news, I think, is that we actually
4: tried to deal with it, to just at least produce something out of a study committee.
3: Put it in front of the public. We had a very active. I was in the state house that day. A very active group of people in, supporting yeah. this redistricting They actually reform. had to move okay. the committee meeting. And right. it's a very positive thing for the culture to have that discussion. We've got until 2020 really to finalize our activity in this, this realm if we're going to make any change in how we reapportion districts. So there's, I think what we want to do is continue the conversation and keep it moving. Defeating something almost says we're going to stop talking about it. I think now we have a a chance to continue to talk about
2: it. That's
4: a fair point. Is we don't this, have
2: till 2020. The districts have to be redrawn before 2020 so that people can file before the legislative session is over. So you're actually talking no, about no, a couple they, of yeah. You've got to have filed you on the, know. Yeah,
0: they've already been drawn. Yeah, they'd be they'd be redrawn in 2020 after the decennial census, yeah. right? Oh, that's right. 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 You're
2: right. I yeah, there we are yeah. yeah, That's right. Yeah. You're but right. I understand your thinking,
3: yeah, right. thinking. my but thinking is you, you need till 2020 to kind of get there. You've
2: got to get there. You've got to get the districts done. And it's high time we obviously this is the way the districts are drawn drawn is completely lopsided, and it needs to be reformed, and it needs to be reformed by a commission. And the fact that there's bipartisan support for that commission indicates that the vote needs to be taken. So right. The, the f- decisions
3: f- are drawn according to law, and uh, the criteria uh, that uh, have It has not out. gone, they gone they up, been, which has up not out.
2: gone up to the Seventh Circuit yet, and in view of the, uh, the Wisconsin decision, that may be next on the agenda.
3: i anticipate
0: a favorable ruling.
2: Oh, I wouldn't if I were you, because <laughs> they didn't in Wisconsin.
0: Well, that is Indiana Week in Review for this week. Our panel is Democrat Ann Delaney, Republican John Hammond, John Schwanis of Indiana Lawmakers, and John Katzenberger of the Indiana Fiscal Policy Institute. If you'd like a podcast of this program, you can find it at wfyi.org iwir, or starting Monday, you can stream it or get it on demand from Xfinity. I'm Brandon Smith of Indiana Public Broadcasting. Join us next time, because a lot can happen in an Indiana Week.
1: Ice Miller is proud to support Indiana Week in Review. Ice Miller, with a 100-year tradition of learning what is important to clients and strategizing with them toward a common goal. Today, Ice Miller continues its commitment to help clients build, grow, and protect their interests. More at icemiller.com.